Hi, you're listening to Your Best with my nanny, Kathy Weckworth. Hi, this is Kathy Weckworth, Executive Director of Best Life Ministries, and you're listening to Your Best, a motivational, inspirational 30 minutes that will help you want to be your best. Today's topic is the holiness of Christmas. Over the past three weeks, we've talked about the Christmas season. In case you missed the shows, you can find them at Kathy Weckworth, Your Best, on iTunes. Our first week, we discussed the busyness of Christmas. The second week, we talked about the greediness of Christmas. Last week, we talked about the loneliness of Christmas. But today, I want to talk about the holiness of Christmas. What a glorious event, the celebration of God's birth. Love was born. A Savior came for us, born in a stable, to a regular set of human parents, a virgin mother Mary, the Son of God. When we think about Christmas, once we get past that busyness and the schedules racing around, when we think about Christmas, once we get past the greediness and set aside that loneliness, we move in close to the babe child Christ, and we make room for the one who at the time earth didn't have a room for. When we crowd in beside that manger inside our hearts, we think about the little child born for us. It's magnificent. It's incredible. It's holiness at its best. It makes me remember a night about 30-some years ago, a cold wintry night, when all hope seemed lost. I love this story. My mom and dad and I were on a week's vacation to Canada. My daddy was a college professor, and so he saved up every penny and dime so that when it was time for vacation, we could travel. Driving on slippery roads most of the day, with white fluffy flakes piled up over the mountaintops, oh, it was just breathtaking beauty. But it was cold and lovely that evening, as the stars spilled out of a beautiful light throughout the countryside. I remember feeling a bit nervous as I watched my daddy. He was holding onto that steering wheel so tightly, and there was my mom in the front seat just resting her head against the car seat, not worried at all, totally oblivious to any danger. I could see my father's forehead in the glimmer of the car lights ever so often. I knew he was concerned. It was strange how just knowing that he was at the wheel gave me an assured comfort, but something in me still worried about his concerned look. After what seemed like many hours, my dad's gentle hand reached back and touched mine as I was sitting there resting, my eyes closed against the back seat. Kathleen, I need you to start praying. I heard the gentle breathing of my mother, so I knew she was asleep. What is it, Dad? Well, we've been driving for the past 14 hours, and there isn't one motel now where we are at. They don't have any vacancy signs. I don't know what to do. It's now really close to midnight. So back then, when I was younger, that was the deal with motels. They just had huge signs that were neon lights and they'd say vacancy or no vacancy. And so we just kept looking. Motel after motel, we'd drive by big towns, big cities, little towns. Nothing said vacancy. I started to feel my dad's panic. I got it. What would happen if we ran out of gas? What would happen if we were so tired we couldn't drive? What would happen if the weather worsened? 
Well, I was wide awake now, and I noticed that we drove for miles and miles, and I began to pray and pray. The sky was beautiful then. The snow had stopped, but no sign of human life anywhere, just gorgeous mountains that were snow-capped, lots of trees. After another half hour, my daddy pulled to the side of the road, and he said, Kathy, you've got to drive. I've been driving since this morning. I just can't go on. I got outside and I got into the driver's seat and I was so tired. It had to be about 1230 now. I had only my driver's license for just a very short few months. So I really wasn't a very good driver and I didn't have a lot of experience. I certainly didn't have any driving on snow because I was living in Southwest Iowa. Boy, they have to pray there for snow. I had no idea how I'd fare driving on icy roads and with a dark black night. I breathed a silent prayer and buckled my seatbelt and said to my dad, okay, here we go. Now, I frequently checked my rearview mirror to see if my daddy was sleeping. I felt very alone in the darkness, but somehow as I prayed, I looked out and I saw a huge windmill gently spinning in the mild breeze. The light from the moon struck it so that it looked like a big, strong, comforting force. Round and round it went, and as we approached it, I noticed that the light was bouncing off of it. A small row of little cabins sat directly behind the windmill, and warm yellow light spilled out across the snow. Oh, please, I remember saying, please, God, let it be a vacancy sign. My father spoke so clearly, I can still hear him in my mind. He said, honey, it's a place to stay. Pull in, pull in. The sign that was warm and orange blinked vacancy. Over and over, it glistened against the fresh fallen snow. I don't think we would have cared if they had scary mice or rats there. It just didn't matter. I looked up to see a beautiful tall mountain behind it with sparkling white snow. My mother groggily opened her eyes and wondered where we were. It was an hour since I'd taken over, one hour of begging God for a safe retreat, uncomfortable, cold, exhausted, and uncertain of our future. We had one thing going and one thing only, faith in God for where we would end up. My daddy got out of the car, grabbed the suitcases, and said to me, perhaps this is the same way that Mary and Joseph felt that night. Over and over, they went from door to door. And Mary was expecting a baby, ready to deliver. And everyone said the same thing. With big, blinky, golden lights amidst the snow, no vacancy was the same thing they saw. How scary I knew exactly what it felt like. How panic-stricken I knew how that felt. I couldn't believe that my dad told me later he was scared. He had to be strong for us. But we had been in the darkness, in the middle of nowhere, with no place to stay. And I felt comforted from my dad and from my heavenly daddy. Scripture tells us in Luke 2, 4 through 7, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. 
While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. The memory stayed with me these past 30-plus years. And today I am once again reminded of the thankfulness for a journey that ended with a place to rest. This season, we remember the birth of Christ, the holiness of that event, the presence of His salvation in our lives. Today, let there be a warm welcome sign, a vacancy sign shining in our hearts, spilling out across the cold, icy snow. Room for Him, room for the Savior, taking His rightful home in our hearts. Oh, come let us adore Him, Christ the Lord. Friends, as we're talking today about the holiness of Christmas, I want to talk just a little bit to you about Mary herself. When we think about Mary, theologians have said that she has been recorded as 14 to 16 years old, 
And I think, wow, that was something for a young girl. We know that she was betrothed to uh, the fabulous Joseph, and he was also um, very young, according to theologians. But here's some facts I want to just kind of stir up in your mind. Maybe you know these, maybe you don't. Mary was a virgin, and they said 14 to 16 years old. She was also very humble. Um, when the angel comes to her and says, you're going to be having a baby, she questions and says, who am I that, that God would do this? And also, it was an interesting fact to me to find out that she was a small-town girl from the insignificant village of Nazareth. Though she was of nobility, because she was from the line of King David, and so was Joseph, the family had lost all of its status because of the years of Israel's captivity and the years of foreign domination. So basically, she was just a simple peasant girl. Now, we might want to question God and say, hey, it doesn't really make sense. Why are you picking out some young girl who's just very simple and plain from a funny little town? But that's how God works. He isn't about bringing in his son to a huge palace with beautiful gold and to the queen of somewhere. No, he's about humility, about bringing this baby into a humble setting, into a humble life of a beautiful young woman. Now, another interesting aspect of Mary is that when the angels showed up, angels always say, um, fear not, because that's what they do in Scripture. They show up to people, and people are scared. It's not like you're typically seeing angels. And when the angel shows up and says, fear not, and he tells her the Lord is going to be with her, and then he says, and this is all taken from Scripture in Luke, um, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. One of the things that I believe that is so important about Mary finding favor is that she was, as we said, a virgin, and she was also humble. She was also very obedient. But here's something that you may or may not know. Mary really knew her scripture, and I'm going to tell you about that in a minute, but I want to continue this scripture. Mary asked the angel, how is this going to be? The angels told her, you're going to have a baby. He says, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And that's when Mary says, how can this be? Because I'm a virgin. And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. I love her answer to him. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to be me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Not running and screaming like Jonah did in the story of Jonah and the big fish, not turning away and saying, this can't be happening. But she's accepting it as truth and says, may your word be fulfilled to me. Well, because of this pregnancy, Joseph could reject her. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but according to the Torah, someone in her condition should be stoned. 
For sure, living in a small town of Nazareth, she would be the subject of gossip because small towns work that way. But Mary embraces this news by stating those words, I am the Lord's servant. And as she thinks and prays and ponders this, she records what is in Scripture. Luke 1, 45-55, many scholars say that this Scripture was the most influential song ever written. So I think it's really neat because when we look in the book of Psalms, we see that King David has written many songs. And this is what's noted as a beautiful song. It's called the Magnificat. And Magnificat is Latin for my soul proclaims the greatness or simply my soul magnifies. It's where we get our word magnify. When we magnify something, we give it an extraordinarily large place in our life. So everybody does this. You magnify something in your life. Think about it. I like to call it the Achilles heel. So what's the most important thing to you that it hurts if it's taken away or threatened or jabbed or hurt? What is it? When we magnify something, we give it a large place in our life. So what are you magnifying? Everyone's soul magnifies something. Everybody gives something a great place in their life. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your job or your boat or your home. So think about it this way. A workaholic magnifies work. An alcoholic magnifies alcohol. A greedy soul magnifies money. A needy soul magnifies approval. A lost soul magnifies security. We all magnify something. Mary magnifies the soul. So listen to what scripture says. This is the Magnificat, Luke 1, 45 through 55. And Mary said, my soul glorifies, makes something appear superior. The Lord magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Here's the neat part about this story. Mary knew her scripture. She was familiar with the passages from the Old Testament. As she creates this song in the moment, her words were compared to those scriptures that she looked up to. For example, when she says, my soul glorifies the Lord, well, in Psalm 35, 9, listen to this scripture. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit has found gladness in God my Savior. Very similar. Or this, she says, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. But in 1 Samuel 2, 1 through 2, Hannah says, My heart is strengthened in the Lord, my horn is exalted in my God. And in Habakkuk, I shall find gladness in the Lord. He is regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. 
On and on, the Magnificat goes, taking moments, taking glimpses, taking little words here and there of Scripture to create a new song, a song for Mary, who will be the mother of the Savior. I think it's really interesting to look at her perspective, to think about Joseph, because they had an arranged marriage. And when he finds out that she's pregnant, well, he could have her stoned. But instead, he says no. He's going to do away with her quietly, secretly, and divorce her. Because according to their rules back then, if you were getting married to somebody and something like this happened, you would have to have a divorce. But he decides not to. Why? Because Scripture tells us that an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And he understands his purpose and his role for the future. Now, Joseph is a little bit different. He was from the tribe of Judah and a descendant from the line of King David, as was Mary, through King Solomon, David's father. Now, just think about it like this. It's very simple. You have King David. He has King Solomon. And Solomon has a brother named Nathan. And out of that lineage comes Mary. But out of King Solomon's lineage comes Joseph. So when we look in Scripture— and the prophecy says that out of the line of King David will arise a Savior. Well, it comes from both of those parents. Mary's parents had only daughters. In the Jewish culture, even engaged couples could never be alone together. Isn't that weird? So for Mary to say that she's pregnant is pretty shocking because according to their rules, you would have a few short chaperoned conversations over a year of engagement and then you get married. Joseph thought that he could divorce her. Don't you wonder what happened to the two of them? Scripture only takes us so far in the storyline. And then once they have their baby, it skips to when he's 12 and he's in the temple. But I imagine it was a challenging time. I imagine people made fun of them. We know that there were some characters in the storyline, like Elizabeth, who's related to Mary, and is so excited and says, who am I that the mother of my Savior would come to see me? So obviously some people are believing them. And we know that as time goes by, many followers believe. But it must have been a challenging time for young parents. Holiness, that's our topic for today. Listen to the scripture from Luke describing that holy night. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were so afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly house praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. What a beautiful night it must have been. Hours and hours of travel, persevering through labor, and believe me, I know what that's like. I've got three kids of my own. They were looking for a place to rest, a place to deliver a baby. The night was holy. 
listen to this poem entitled The Peace of Christmas by Margaret H. Wright. The crystal snow had drifted down and created everything in white. We look upon this tranquil scene, serene and silent, holy night. The lights from many windows give the snow a rainbow-tinted sheen. The sky above of azure blue holds jeweled stars on velvet screen. The bells chime out so loud and clear, familiar carols the choir sings. The children's laughter while they play are happy sounds the Christmas brings. The peace of Christmas fills our hearts, inspiring many loving deeds. It takes our cares and fears away and gives the courage each one needs. We know how God restored the peace between himself and man on earth. He kept the promise he had made, redemption through the Savior's birth. All splendor is this wondrous night, when peace and joy descend again. Adorned with love and trust in God comes peace on earth, goodwill to men. That poem is gorgeous. I love it. Friends, grab a pen and get ready to write down a couple of CD choices. Now, I know that we've had Rob's you know, movie review over the last couple of weeks, and we've had me talking about some of my favorite songs, but I'm just going to list them off because here's the top 10, and they make me so happy. Amy Grant's The Christmas Collection. That's got everything Amy ever had that was great right on it, all in one CD. Josh Groban, Noel. What in the world is Josh thinking? It was so fabulous. Josh, get busy and make another one. Three, Carpenter's Christmas Portrait. I love Karen Carpenter. Dreamy voice. Four, Wyndham Hills, A Wyndham Hill Christmas. Friends, if you don't know who Wyndham Hill is, wow, you are missing out. It's a compilation of many, many different musicians like George Winston and Liz Story. Beautiful, beautiful music. Andy Williams, Christmas Album. Number six, of course, our favorite Minnesota hometown girl, Lori Line, sharing the season. Number seven, Vince Gill's Breath of Heaven. And Vince actually has a couple of Christmas CDs, but my favorite is this one. Number eight, A Jolly Christmas from Frank Sinatra, and who doesn't love him? Number nine, Julie Andrews, A Christmas Treasure. Just have to tell you a side note, I was playing this music, and my husband said, are we watching The Sound of Music? And I said, no, honey, we're listening to Julie singing Christmas songs. Number 10, and of course... It's got to be on the list. Shannon Wexelberg's You Came For Me, and that's the song that we heard today. You can pick up any of these very reasonably on Amazon, find them at your local Walmart, or look online at shannonwexelberg.com for her specifically. Next week, you're going to want to tune in for some great Christmas tunes and an original drama written by me, starring our drama team from the Best Life Ministries. Oh, my goodness, they are so much fun with all of that fabulous background sounds. You're going to love it. And our producer, Garth Yelty, is from Wilmer, Minnesota, and he did a great job. But there's a great, fun, crazy cast of characters but before we close today, I want to wish you the merriest of Christmases. Enjoy the next few days. Spend time reading the Christmas story with your family. And remember to remain quiet for some time to reflect on the gift we've been given and the holiness of that night. Let me pray with you. 
Dear Jesus, thank you for coming as a baby to save us from our sins. Thank you for the meaning of Christmas. Thank you for the gift of being close to God through you, Jesus. Bless our week with awe, excitement, and a realization of your holiness. Let there always be a vacancy light shining in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, it's the end of the year, and Best Life Ministries is a nonprofit 501c3, and we can use your tax-deductible donations. You can support this radio show and the ministry by sending a check to Best Life Ministries, P.O. Box 73, Benson, Minnesota, 56215, or log on to com. And from me and Farmer Dean and all of our team at Best Life Ministries, Merry, Merry Christmas. Listeners, if you're looking for a really wonderful way to spend Christmas Eve at 11 p.m. at our church in the Grove outside of Benson, Minnesota, you can join us for a candlelight service. For more information, log on to bestlifeministries.com. For more encouragement and hope, log on to our website at bestlifeministries.com. And for more information about me, you can log on to kathyweckworth.com. Hey, thanks for being with us today. And until next time, I encourage you to go out and be your best.